Hello, how are you doing today? Welcome to Saving Your Soul with Dolly. Um, I'm Dolly Barker, and I'm going to be sharing a word with you today out of the book of Romans. We're going to be looking over at chapter 4 because there's always so much confusion about am I saved? Can I lose my salvation? Do I have to get saved again? If I was saved and I backslid, can I get saved again? And um, What does saved mean? Does that mean when you're saved by grace? Does that mean you can do whatever you want to do and God just winks at it? Or, I mean, you know, what is salvation? And so many people don't know. And so um, we have read and studied and researched and tried to figure it out for ourselves. You know, when we were in prison ministry for years before we ever um, started a church, um, we would go into the unit and we would, you know, maybe there's 150 or 200 men in the chapel and we would preach a sermon and they would all stand up and get saved. And it was like, praise God, man, we are amazing evangelists. This is incredible. But, you know, what would happen is the following week, we would come back in and we would teach a message again. And everybody would stand up for salvation again. And what was happening was I would be sitting there thinking, hang on a minute, that guy got saved last week because I was talking to him. I prayed with this guy over here. I know he was already saved. He got saved last week. You know, I mean, all of our stories were like that when we got to the restaurant, when we left the unit. And we would all be sitting there talking. And finally, it was like it dawned on us, okay, they're getting saved. But before the next week when we come back in, the enemy is attacking them. And they don't have knowledge of the covenant that they're in. So the enemy steals their hope and their promise from them. So when we come in again, um, they all want to get it. They, they want it but they just don't know how to keep it. They, they didn't have knowledge about what being born again meant. And we literally, after that, we decided, okay, we have to start teaching them what is going on here. As we started to do that, we started to notice that the numbers of people that continually got up to get saved again kept getting less and less. <clears throat> and we were literally celebrating that fact. Now, I know there are people in this nation that are not saved, I know there's an entire generation. This is the first time in American history where an entire generation of young people are being raised up without God in their life at all. We need evangelism. We need to be supporting evangelists, the ones that are truly going out to win souls in the streets and find people that are not in the churches. We need to support evangelists. But right now, I'm talking to probably somebody who is already been born again. You've heard the gospel. You've received the message of the truth of the word of God. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but you're still not maybe walking in all the victory you want. Or maybe you are, but there's something else you're trying to obtain. Well then, since you've been saved spiritually, we spend a lot of time working on how to save your soul then. How to live a Christian life and get victory and success. Because... If you're just running around doing whatever you want to do, yeah, you may be saved and you may be going to heaven, but you're not going to have any reward, which is going to be your soul. And you're going to end up having a horrible life because whatever you sow, you are going to reap it. God's not going to do it to you. You're choosing what you want to do and you are going to reap. It's like a, it's like a boomerang. It comes back to you. And God set that up as one of the laws in his word. So the bad things that happen in people's life, they're thinking, you know, why, God, why? But God's not doing it. 
we literally are sowing bad seeds and so we reap bad harvests. And sometimes I'm telling you the worst thing that I've experienced is I have sown bad seeds and watched my children reap it, even though my children never did those things to sow those seeds. And so it, it's going to come back. It may not come back to you directly, but it's going to come back into your world and you're going to have to eat the fruit of the choices we make. And that is where it takes responsibility for your own actions and gaining knowledge of the truth of the Word of God to how to avoid sowing negative seeds and how to sow positive seeds and how how to do that in every area of your life, including your thoughts and, and um, controlling your emotions and all those things are all part of the process of maturing as believers. So today, I want to talk about in Romans, if you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know that Romans chapter 4 is talking about Abraham. The covenant of the Old Testament was made with Abraham and how that affects us. So I'm going to do um, a little bit of reading here for just a second. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. What it's saying is, what do we need to talk about Abraham? So, if Abraham accomplished what he wanted, and if he became, you know, the father of nations on his own, well, then he would have some bragging rights. He would get to glory, okay, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? So, let's look at the word it's saying. Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed. He was in faith to be considered righteous. He did not earn it. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So because if Abraham would have earned it on his own, if he would have just been such a good person, never did anything wrong, never disobeyed his parents, never said an ugly word to somebody, never got frustrated in 5 o'clock traffic, if Abraham would have just been perfect, you know, he would, have, he would have done it on his own, but he didn't. So he can't boast himself. He didn't work for it. It says in verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So if, if you earn it, you know, everything's in debt to you. God's in debt to you because you did it. You, you, you past it all. You, but the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's nobody on this earth that can walk it out. The reason why God had to give us a law is because the enemy is so deceptive. He's constantly messing with us and he gets us to do things that are against God, but we don't even realize it. And that's why he had to give us the law so that we would recognize, hey, wait a minute, I may be doing something wrong if I'm sleeping with my best friend's wife. You know, he had to recognize and because the enemy is so deceptive and he lures you into doing things that are ungodly that are going to cause you horrible harvests later on because of the seeds you're sowing. And God doesn't want that to happen to you. So God told us some rules that if we would stick with these, it would prevent the enemy from having access into our life. It would prevent the enemy from being able to come in and rip the rug out from underneath us and have us reap a horrible existence. And then he tells you, oh, it's because look what you did. You're such a horrible person. He condemns you. And then he tells you, God is mad at you. 
And it is a spiraling effect that will end you up in a complete and total mess. And that is not what God wants. So he gave us some rules so that we would understand what's going on, where we could judge for ourselves where we're at. Amen? It says in verse 6, Even as David also described the blessedness of man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. God knew you couldn't do it, and you're never going to outwit the devil. So there's no way you can do it. So he knew that, though. So he provided a way for you to be righteous. That means in right standing with God. That means when God looks at you, all he sees is your righteousness. Then he can come into your presence and have a conversation with you. If you're undone and you're not righteous, you can't get in the presence of God. His holiness would destroy you, and God knows that. So to protect you, he had to get away from you. He had to send us away from him. Because unrighteousness cannot stand in the presence of God who is pure and holy. It would obliterate, in a way, everybody in the Old Testament that touched God that wasn't purified died instantly. And that's what would happen to everybody because we all have sinned. You know what I'm saying? So, but if you do it, if you obtain your righteousness by faith, if you say, you know, okay, Jesus was not born after the similitude of Adam's transgressions because his father was not a biological man who came from Adam. His father was God who overshadowed Mary. So he did not have the iniquity of his father. The Bible tells us you get the iniquities from your father. So because he wasn't born of a man, he didn't have iniquity. So he managed to live this entire life and he did not sin. Okay? He did not have Adam's sin in him. Well, the wages of sin is death. And so when he was killed for sin and he had never committed sin, that's when the enemy had overplayed his hand and had to turn everything over to Jesus because he was killed wrongfully. So this, this is the scenario here. So God needs you to be righteous so he can have a relationship with you. So he took the sacrifice that Jesus made to pay for Adam's original sin. All of sin was paid for by what Adam did. So then I have people say, well, then everybody's saved because he died for all of mankind. Yes, he did. And all of man's sins, everybody from the worst person to the best person, everybody's sins were paid for on that cross at Calvary. The problem is it only becomes yours when you partake of it. And you must do that by faith, by accepting what God did. Every man is given a measure of faith. So we've all been given enough faith to believe the gospel when we hear it preached. When you hear it preached and you receive it and you apply it, oh, thank you, God, that you saved me. Bam, I become the righteousness of God. Now I'm no longer a sinner. Now I can easily just walk right into the presence of God and not be destroyed. Actually, that is one of the most empowering, strengthening, encouraging places you can be. That's why churches spend all their time worshiping the Lord. You want to stay in the presence of God because he's so amazing. And the Bible says he inhabits his praises. So um, we are, look, it says in verse 7, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That is what the power in that blood that Jesus shed did for us. 
Blessed is the man, in verse 8, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Because you have received the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, he's not even putting your sin on your account. He's not even keeping it anymore. You're not even sinning anymore if you have been brought into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Now listen to the whole sermon here before you get offended and turn it off because you're, oh, that's just that greasy grace. No, it's not. I am not saying that you can just do whatever you want to do now and it's all fine. But I am telling you, no matter what you do, it is all fine. Because spiritually speaking, your sins are forgiven. Your iniquities are forgiven. Your sins are covered. And the Lord will not impute sin to you anymore. What that means is he took sin out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Okay, so what that says is this. I'm talking spiritually now. I'm not talking about saving your soul or your flesh. I'm talking about spiritually being born again and what that means. We were in a neighborhood growing up, and we were all learning to drive. And so you're driving through the neighborhood every time you got a chance to run to the store for mom, and you'd, you'd get to drive through the store. And you wanted to go to the store on the other end of the neighborhood where you could drive the farthest you wanted to go. So anyway... There was a lot of traffic going to this one particular place, which was also the entrance to get to the freeway where most of the traffic from the neighborhood went to so that people could get back and forth to work. Along that little journey, the police decided at one point there needed to be another stop sign at one of the intersections. Now, there had not been a stop sign there from the beginning of the subdivision, so every person that was driving would just drive through there. Well, one day, they put a stop sign up. And then they had a police car sitting there. And every person in the subdivision had to reprogram themselves because there's a stop sign. So they, they didn't give out tickets at first. What they did at first is they just pulled you over and said, did you know you just ran a stop sign? Where? There's not a stop sign there. Yes, there is. There was, it was just put up last week. And every time you go by there, you must stop now. And we all had to be retrained to do it. Because all of a sudden, there was something in our path that commanded us to respond differently. Well, that's what sin was. The moment sin entered in Adam and Eve's life, all of a sudden, bam, they became limited. They could no longer just freely drive through. They had to stop. And if they didn't stop, there would be consequences. That's kind of what happened to Adam and Eve. Well, when Jesus Christ came, what he did was he went over there to that intersection And although we were all then trained to stop, everybody has to stop, everybody has to stop or get a ticket. What he did was he came to the earth and he took the stop sign back out. Now, if you pull up there and you stopped anyway, you know, it wasn't a problem unless somebody rear-ended you and it was going to be your fault now. But if there was no stop sign there, if the stop sign was removed, you no longer had that limitation on you. And you could no longer be given a ticket for driving straight through. So that's kind of what Jesus did. He came and he took sin out of the way. So now we are free to go and move about and do our lives and accomplish what God's called us to accomplish without guilt and shame and condemnation and and hard, you know, laborious trying to be good enough, trying to be perfect, trying to, you know, not ever lose your temper. I mean, you know, it's hard. On your own, it's impossible. But that's what he did. He, he's not going to even impute sin to you on a spiritual level. God is your ever-present help in time of need because he's always available to you no matter what. 
The love of God for you, spiritually speaking, is unconditional. That means there is nothing you can do that will make God not love you. If you're in covenant, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do that will make God not love you. But on the other hand, there is nothing you can do to get God to love you besides God's plan to accept Jesus Christ. You are never going to earn it on your good works. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be holy enough. You're never going to... These people that are doing all these good charitable acts, they have a life of sin behind closed doors. There's, there's no way. As humans, we cannot. The enemy is going to make sure he gets to hold you in bondage. And the way he does that is by your hidden sin, the small things that are going on in your life. And it doesn't matter if everybody in the entire planet all agrees, well, it shouldn't be wrong for you to... Whatever. We can make up anything. We could say kick a dog. It should not be wrong for you to kick a dog. Now, I don't think you'd ever get PETA and big groups of people to ever agree with that. I'm just using this as an example. I'm not suggesting anybody kick a dog. But if you, if everybody on the planet decided it was okay to kick a dog, do you know the Word of God tells you not to kick your dog? So even if the entire planet says it's okay to do it, it doesn't change the laws of the universe that are forever settled. So if you, if you go ahead and do it anyway, you're going to reap for that mess. But now that doesn't determine whether or not God loves you or not. God loves you because Jesus Christ died for you and you received that. He made a way of escape for you and you took it. You are loved and accepted by God the Father. Now, he's, I'm not saying he's winking at sin because he absolutely is not. Because sin is still very destructive in your life. And if you have some sin that's habitual sin and things that you're doing all the time, you have a door open. I met this man one time. He was terrified at his house because he was, it was, his house was demon-possessed. I mean, he was having encounters with all kinds of ungodly um, things that were happening in his world. And he sought the Lord about it because he was born again. Uh, and the Lord showed him that his uh, pornography addiction had created a door that was allowing access for the enemy to come in there and mess with him. And so he shut that door. He shut that door and he said he'll never open it again. And his house became peaceful again and everything went back to normal. He wasn't tormented. I mean, and I know for myself in my own life, I had doors open. I had addictions. I had things going on. And I was praying about all these circumstances. And God said to me one day, shut that door. And I shut that door. And all of those areas of my life cleared up. And I never had any of those problems again. So I'm just going to say, you know, sometimes the things, God still loved me. I mean, I was drunker than Cooter Brown one night on the side of the highway when I called out to God because they were about to take my kids because I was going to jail. My kids were in the back seat of the car. I was going to get in trouble for child endangerment and everything else. And I prayed. And I found favor and grace. And God moved. And I got out of that situation. That was the last time I ever got in a vehicle drinking again. But I was far from God that night when I prayed and called out to Him. And He still moved in my life. Because he loved me. And his love wasn't based on my ability to be good enough. And we have to understand that on a spiritual level, it is just based on 
Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus paid for this. I don't have to live like this anymore. Now, I can, but I don't have to. And when I figured out that I didn't have to, I didn't want to. Amen? And I started making some changes in my life, and God helped me, and I'm, I couldn't be happier. Amen? So your, your sin is not being imputed to you. I don't care what it is. God's not counting your sin and going, mm-hmm, and then just waiting for the right opportunity to do something horrible to you to pay you back for the sin that you committed. That's not how God operates. Now, in your soul, you can decide to follow your flesh, and you can just go and do all kinds of things all the time. Whatever seeds you're sowing, you're going to reap them. You are creating an, a vacuum. The Bible says, don't you know whoever servant you obey, that's whose servant you are? If I'm running around, you know, robbing banks, um, you know, I'm going to have everything in my life taken away from me. I'm going to reap that. You know, you got these guys sitting in the penitentiary right now. The ability for them to go get in their car and go somewhere, that's been taken from them. The ability of, for them to see their family, that's been taken from them. The ability of them to get up and go to Taco Bell, nope. The ability for them to go um, paint their room? Nope. You know, everything's been taken from them because maybe they spent a life taking from others. And they sowed that seed and they sowed that seed and now they reaped their harvest. God did not put them in jail. And we've had arguments with inmates about this. Well, the Lord put me in here to teach me a lesson. He did no such thing. He did no such thing. Now, your harvest might have been merciful and you might have ended up in prison instead of dead. But God did not do it to you. As a matter of fact, God's right there with you. And one of the guys was adamant about it. He was arguing with uh, my dad. I was in the ministry with my dad, and he was arguing with my dad one day about it. Yes, he did. He put me here. And my dad just stopped and listened to him for a few minutes, just standing there shaking his head. And he said, hmm, well, have you, have you been able to get up and go up for parole? And the guy said, yeah, I just got to do it last week. And my dad said, why would you do that? If you are 100% convinced that God put you here to teach you something, why on God's green earth would you try to go up for parole and get released? Why are you trying to get out of the perfect will of God for your life? And that guy just stood there kind of looking at him. That doesn't make sense. If God puts sickness on you, quit going to the doctor. I mean, that doesn't make sense. People say things like, God gave me this sickness. God did that. He did no such thing. But if you're walking around sewing all the time, you're using acting like you're sick to get out of doing things that you don't want to do instead of just telling somebody no. And you're pretending that you're sick so you don't have to go to work. And you're, you're just opening all these doors for sickness. You're just sewing all this sickness all the time. And then when sickness comes on you, now you want to blame God? You sowed the seeds. If you sow tomato seeds, guess what we're going to reap? We're going to reap tomatoes. If you spend your life sowing cucumbers, you're going to reap cucumbers. You're never going to sow tomato seeds and reap an oak tree. That will never happen because the laws of the universe. Everything is a seed. Everything. I want to be wealthy. Well, guess what? I'm expecting people just to give me money. I give money. I want to be, you know, healthy. I speak health. I, I pray for every person that I know of that's sick. I stand in the... I'm sowing for health. Everything we do is a seed. 
And we are going to live in the world that we create through the seeds that we sow. Now, that's what's happening in the natural realm, in our flesh and in our soul. But in your spirit, God is not angry with you. He will never be angry with you. He will never. He's not even imputing your sin to you. When he looks at you, he doesn't even see that you've even done anything wrong because you're covered in the blood of Jesus. So spiritually, you can still access God. Spiritually, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be empowered to literally change everything about your world because that's what Jesus purchased you. It is amazing. And I I just, you know what? I hear Bill Winston say all the time. He says, you know what I'd do if I wasn't saved? I'd get saved. (laughs) Amen. And I would do it today. Because this is such a wonderful covenant that God has given to us. And it it goes down and it talks about um, whether it was for the circumcision or the uncircumcision. Is this for just the Jews or the Gentiles? And and he says he this promise was made with Abraham before he was circumcised. The circumcision was a seal. Now, the children of Israel, the Jews, are in a different covenant than we are. And they their minds right now have been blinded. Because God is giving all of us an opportunity to establish and to receive the kingdom of God. Their eyes will open. And when they do, they are little powerhouses, man. God is going to do some really incredible, amazing things with them. But for right now, it's our turn. It's our dispensation where the Gentiles can come to the Lord. And so that's, that's, it's talking about that. Verse 13 says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world. He's talking to Abraham. Now, Abraham means all of us because Abraham's our father, and we receive all the promises that Abraham received because we inherited them. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith because Abraham believed God. It was he acted in faith. And because you believe God and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have acted in faith. And now you're in line to get all of the promises. This that you're you're an heir to the whole world. For if they, verse 14, for if they that were of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. So if you had to do it by the law, if you had to be good enough then the fact that he's given this to people through faith is, is not even applicable anymore. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. He paid for sin. So if there's no sin, you're no longer a sinner. Once you're born again, you are no longer a sinner. I have spent my entire life hearing that we're just a sorry sinner saved by grace. No, we are not. We were a sinner, but when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became saved by faith. And because he took the law out of the way for us, he removed that stop sign. Sin is not being imputed to me anymore. I am no longer a sinner. Now, I do foolish things in my flesh from time to time. I Maybe my mind, I believe something the enemy's saying, it's a lie, and I do something, and I end up in a mess. But I immediately, immediately, when I realize I have done something that wasn't what the best for me, I repent. I'm like, hey, God, you know what? 
I can't believe I just did that. I wish I would have done that. All repent means is I've missed the mark and I want to straighten this out. And the Bible says the axe, repentance is the axe laid at the root of the tree. When I sowed that wrong seed and I started producing that bad thing in my life, which is going to attract my harvest, it's going to produce this big harvest on me. I can repent when I realize that that's happening in my life and I can say, God, I repent, please. Take your axe and cut this thing out of my life. I repent. I admit it. I own up to it. And I need this thing removed from me. And God takes that away from me and delivers me from that harvest that I was going to get. And then I don't go sow those seeds again if I can help it. But if I fall back off, you know, I'm, oh, God, I did it again. Please forgive me. And, and as long as your heart is meaning what you're saying, God's not fooled by your cheap words. You know, you have to actually mean what you're saying. But he will remove that harvest from you. Sometimes I pray, oh, Father, please give me a crop failure on that. You know, I wish I hadn't reacted that way. I wish I hadn't done this. Why did I, God? Why have I got this bitterness in my heart? Why am I insecure? What is this fear that I have, Lord? Cut that out of me. I'm sorry I ever received that fear. I'm sorry I ever believed that I wasn't everything great that you created me to be. And I allow God to deal with these issues in my heart and get them out of me. And when he does that, they are no longer there being dragging me around and dragging me through the mud. It is a victorious life. It is a life where you are not at the mercy of the enemy all the time. And I just I want to encourage you. I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I'm running out of time. It goes on down and says in verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he also was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Listen, I don't want you staggering at the promises of God. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Listen, you're listening to a preacher right now. Anytime you're listening to a preacher, faith is being established in your life. Faith is coming in your life. Faith is being built. You know, I listen to podcasts. I listen to preachers all the time. Because I want to keep my faith up. I want to keep my faith strong. Because as my faith is strong, I'm not going to stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. I'm able to believe what he said. I'm fully persuaded that those things that God had promised me, he is able to perform them. Man, it's amazing. And so I'm imputed righteousness. I stand holy and blameless before God who is always available for me. He's my ever-present help in time of need. He is my best friend. He is my comforter. He is everything I need. Yeah, the world throws stuff at all of us. Yeah, we sow wrong seeds. We reap some garbage. But you know what? God is my constant. His word is my truth. I'm not going to be moved by my emotions. When you're moved by smell, hear, feel, touch, all these things, listen, the enemy can control you through your five senses. We cannot let our flesh dictate for us what is truth. Even animals completely operate by their senses. You're not an animal. You were created in the very image of God. You, you're a higher form of being. And I want to encourage you. Get you some good preaching. Stay in the Word. Receive what God is saying to you and understand you are 
saved and you are righteous. And this is like one of the very basic foundations for Christianity. Until you understand this and know this and are fully persuaded, the enemy is going to jerk you around everywhere trying to make you feel guilt and shame and condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free from feeling guilty and ashamed forever. You are free from that. That's not coming from God. That's coming from the enemy. It's coming from the world, and it's coming from the wrong seeds we sow. But God is not mad at you. Amen? Man, I'm just so thankful that you tuned in today. I really, truly am. And if this has been a blessing to you, or if you know somebody else that this might help out, share it with them. You know, it just really helps me to be able to advance the kingdom of God. That is our goal. We want to see the kingdom of God be established. And in this season, we know that's what he's doing. But you can be a part of that by just helping us, by getting this word out there. Amen? Listen, I'll talk to you next time, and I really do appreciate you, and God bless you big. Bye-bye.